Good day, fellow investors. Welcome to the Modern Value Investing Podcast with Sven Karlin, where we compound investment returns as well as investment knowledge in order to help you achieve your financial goals. Good day, fellow investors. Uh, as said yesterday, I'm here again with Yao Kai, and today we're going to discuss a very, very interesting Chinese stock traded on the New York Stock Exchange. So the ticker is GSH, so everybody can buy it. And it's a railway in China, and it's one of Yao Kai's favorite stocks. I looked at the company uh, last year. Since then, the stock has really declined significantly. Last year, it was an okay investment for me. I think the expected return from the business was 7% without counting in the reforms, some land they own, and what are the future developments where Yao Kai will discuss that uh, more in detail. But let's first start with Yao Kai. Say hi and give us an overview of the company. Hi. Hi. Uh this is Yoga. And then uh, GSH is quite simple. It's a railway connecting Guangzhou and Shenzhen. And those are two out of the tier one cities in China. And they also own a bunch of land along the way. And that's about it. So pretty simple. Two, two cities, a lot of people, a lot of uh, concentration of moving people to there. We have the finances down, as you said, and then we have the manufacturing in the other city. If you connect those cities, then you should make money, right? Right, except it's run by the government, so it's not that efficient. Um, so, I mean, on the good side, you've got the uh, uh, the Zhujiang Delta, where you have Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and Hong Kong. They are all there. So the finances is in Hong Kong. You got the uh, the tech in Shenzhen, and then you have manufacturing in Guangzhou. And that area, it's, I would say, one of the two most vibrant, um, economically most vibrant regions. The other one being the, uh, the, the Yangtze River Delta. It's very funny. Both are river deltas, and then um, they, they all do pretty well. Um, it's like the so, Netherlands, also River Delta, and they are all yeah, doing okay. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, right, how that <laughs> happens. Uh, it, yeah, the deltas are all, all do pretty well. You got, a, you got a river, you got a sea, and then somehow you do fine. That's it, um, because you do trade from the sea, and you have the background of the countryside, and that's it. Always River Deltas has been always like that since yeah, you, they, they could... Drive on those rivers, or float, or boat ride on those rivers. So, so one thing people, one thing that uh, really drove down the the stock was uh, the completion of well, not the just the completion. There was a whole high speed rail going all the way from Beijing to to Hong Kong now. So, one part of that essentially overlaps with what um, GSH has. So that's been done. So the, uh, the competition already happened. Um, so what you see is the passenger revenue actually did not decline for GSH, but slowed down. The growth slowed down. So that's, I think that is the extent of the uh, effect. And the reason why people wouldn't take high-speed rail 
it's really that between Guangzhou and Shenzhen, which is where this uh, railway ser services, the distance is just not that much. It's not that far. And you don't really care if you saved 15 minutes or 20 minutes uh, when you're traveling between those two cities. And uh, I've got a colleague that comes from Guangzhou, not Guangzhou, but the Guangdong province. And she's like, yeah, I'll take either. I don't really care as long as it gets me there. It, neither is, the pricing isn't, they're not sensitive to pricing. They're not sensitive to time in either case. Because um, it's a, you don't travel between those two cities every day. So, you know, it takes slightly longer. You don't really care that much. So what we can say, okay, the revenue decline didn't happen, so it just slowed down. So there is still people going up and down. It's a lot of people. So even two railroads can coexist and still uh, do well. Now, right. if I remember well, there were some reforms coming in uh, where they could perhaps increase the price by 20%. When you increase the price on something like that, your costs are fixed, so you make fixed. a lot of more money. What are the news? What are the... New things well, from those developments. In, yeah, so that's still in the air. You don't really know when that's going to happen, but it will happen uh, at some point. There are two political uh, themes that's going on with this uh, with this um, uh, railroad. One is called uh, damn it, I don't know how to say it in English. Um, What's State in Chinese, which we Chinese understand. Guy. So essentially, yeah. it's oh yeah, that I know it. I know. It. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> it's it's um, introducing more private capital into state-owned enterprises, and this thing being one of them. Right. So essentially, turning these things to be state-controlled to be non-state-controlled. That's an initiative that's going on at the moment. It's already happened with China Unicom. So China Unicom used to be state-owned, state-controlled, but somewhat private-owned because you got like a minority holder being private uh, owners. Now they introduced Tencent and a bunch of other guys, and probably Alibaba as well. Uh, so to make sure that the the state maintains a certain amount of ownership because they want the money, but they are not in the driving seat. So that's one thing that's going on with a lot of the state-owned uh, businesses, and. Um, Somewhat similar to that is the, the railroad uh, reform. So China Rail Company is a, the, it's almost like a department. It's a state-owned um, company that maintains ownership over almost all the uh, railroads in China. And this is like a subsidiary of them. And they're running out of cash because they borrowed a lot of money to build a lot of high-speed rail because China built a lot of high-speed rail recently. Uh, they're leveraged around, they're 60% debt to asset, 65, which doesn't sound very high, except who knows how accurate their accounting is, right? We know they're out of cash, whether they're actually uh, losing money is a different thing because you have depreciation charges that you can make play games on. Um, so, the rail, the uh, high-speed rail that has never been public is going public. So that is another theme that's like, there's a whole thing about railroads should get reformed and get introduced more private ownership. And similar to what happened to Japan, 
was uh, uh, JR. JR used to be state owned and then they are now completely privately owned, um, split into like four or five companies or something. Right. So it's going through that. And then once you introduce more private ownership, you have to incentivize them to, uh, to be in there. So the price control may just be changed along the way to, to uh, incentivize private ownership. So that's a, that's, essentially one thing. I, I know I said two things, but that's actually one thing about, about the whole uh, reform. The other one is the whole push uh, on the Zhujiang Delta. They call it uh, Zhugang. I forgot what the name was it, but essentially they were saying, okay, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and, and um, or was it Zhujiang? And, uh, anyways, it was like that Delta should get more um, resources or have more uh, autonomy and thing with China is if you give them more autonomy they usually do pretty well and if you take that away they usually suffers and the, the difference can be seen um, um, between that and Beijing right in the, uh, around Shenzhen and Guangzhou you got lots of rich cities and rich people and around Beijing you have a lot of poor cities and poor people the reason is around Beijing, they mess with you a lot. When Beijing is out of clean air, they shut down all your steel mills. When Beijing is out of water, they redirect, re, they divert all your water supply to Beijing. When Beijing is out of electricity, now you run out because your electricity is now Beijing's. So, but uh, on the other side of China, you don't have that problem. So by that push, you actually have a whole demographic uh, essentially a, a, a tailwind because they are that mega city group is sucking in more and more population where you got population declines in other parts of China, especially in the Northeast and surprise, surprise, one of the more notable migrant groups in, uh, in Guangzhou are the people from Northeast China. So I think a lot of things are in the play for Guangxun to do well. Um, how fast the, these catalysts will actually start to get reflected in their earnings. I don't know. It's probably years, not month, but the value is there. And also there's a bunch of real estate, which once they, yeah, once they Let's go. Let's talk in, about the real estate because it's their a hidden assets. We, we can call it. Yeah, it's, it is a hidden asset play like Peter Lynch, uh, once bought like a farm or a ranch somewhere. It's like they bought the ranch for under much more under the, the real estate value. This is a similar thing. They have um, a lot of land around the stations. And currently, I don't know how they manage it. Essentially, it's not making much money. But the these stuff are carried on the books at the cost that they bought it, which is almost nothing. And they have to be depreciated every year. There's a thing, at least in Chinese accounting, uh, it's called uh, land usage rights because you never own these land. Mm -hmm. right, so there's a land usage right you have to de 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 uh, depreciate or amortize um, every year. So actually the land price increased drastically since they got this stuff. But on, on the books, it's de depreciating. So you get less and less value for something that's worth more and more. Um, I think this plays very well with the whole 
国企混改 theme where they they're trying to introduce private investors, more private investors into these um, into these state-owned enterprises. Well, the first thing they're going to say, okay, this is a piece of um, real estate that's not really part of the business of this railroad. The railroad is supposed to be in the business of carrying people from A to B, and it's not making that much money. Why don't we sell it off or something? Some event that unlocks this value should happen. Like, if the uh, the the whole reform on state ownership on these uh, state-owned enterprises actually. Takes. What would be the value of this land compared to the market capitalization? It's going to be more than half, at least. I'm making very, very, very... Uh, I, I, I only roughly look at these land. For me, I was like, I'm already getting a, you know, almost half book value with not too much debt. Half book value, okay, so whatever they happens... Have, they don't have much debt. They don't have any debt. They don't have much debt, no. Really, when you very compare. low debt, yeah, they have very low debt, so not much downside. You got a population tailwind that that means your the demand for your service at least won't decline. So you got low downsides, and when things when good things happen, you really get a you know good things happen to you. So it's it's an asymmetric bet, and yeah, they also still pay you a dividend, so you you at least don't lose too much to inflation when you're sitting on it. What is the dividend yield now? I think it was six. Like 2-3%. So it's uh, low. Like yeah, and then, okay, so 3%. It's same like Beijing Airport, somewhere there in the 3%. line. I would say this is valued, uh, valuation-wise, this is more attractive than Beijing Airport. So it's but cheaper. similar situation though. You got a competitor coming in in a supposedly monopoly business, and and then the valuation gets cut in half or something. So which one do you prefer, Beijing Airport or this one? I would prefer. I prefer this one. I prefer this one. Uh, but like that's that's more of a rational thought, but. Irrationally, I like Beijing Airport more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know we know you love airports, brother. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's say that over the next five years, uh, they will unlock the value of the land, which is half the book value currently, which is close. The whole this, thing, essentially. Now it's trading at book, right? No, now it's trading at zero point five book. I think something like that. So practically, if they unlock the value of the land, that's the market cap. Right. Okay. And then we have the growth, a possible increase in price. I know if they increase the prices 20%, profits double. That's going to explode. At the, no, more than double. At the moment, they're almost breaking even. They're just breaking even at the moment. All right. So an infinite increase in, in profits. Okay. So that would be that. And then it's just, the problem is, as always, you never know when it's going to happen. Uh, we have seen the stock price declining, which means investors are losing patience, especially in Asia. In China, we know investors have patience oh, they, zero. Yeah, they have, they have uh, trouble holding them for a month. It, no, no, across the weekend. <laughs> across the weekend, yeah. So, so long-term investors, those who are building a portfolio of uh, valuable assets, 
across the world should really look into a company like uh, GSX, GSH. Anything to add? Um, yeah, so in terms of like pure um, quantitative, their PB is at around, since their existence, their PB is at uh, 16 per, 16th percentile. I think PB is very good for something like this because it's an asset-heavy company. And then their PBs underneath is actually growing um, because of real estate and all that stuff. But assuming we take the book, the accounting book value, right? their PB is at the level uh, that is you know, 15, 16th percentile of their entire existence. So they've existed since 2002 or something, 2001, 2002. And you are getting this at when this is valued at the lowest. And not, there's nothing, you know, catastrophic that's going on with this company. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very good point. It's just a boring business in a boring environment with a boring stock and that uh, will make you money over the long term. Right. But, I think this will make quite a bit of money. <laughs> but, you need, but you need to hold it and, uh, or trade it on the volatility or something like that. It's, it's highly unlikely that you will lose money with this. Right. I don't, know, I don't usually trade around uh, positions. Um, so, I mean, the other metric that I was looking at is PS. Right? Price to sale is less. It's at 0.5% uh, So in a PS valuation, this has been the cheapest ever this stock has ever been. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's that. <laughs> All right. So it's so, and uh, when a, something doesn't really change from a long-term fundamental value, but the stock price gets 50% lower, which means that I estimated 7% long-term, then it should mean we are now at 10%. 10%. And then if the reforms come in, and everything changes, then we are looking at 15, 20. Actually, I'm wrong. So if it was seven and then it goes down 50%, it should be 14%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah, we go yeah. higher and higher. So, yeah, and if, if this thing goes well, then maybe you were looking at you know, 20, 30% when people start revaluing this on its new earnings power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is something interesting. I also like the deal, so I'll probably write a report from my research platform to see the risks and put it on the watch list and then we'll see when and what and how does it fit the portfolio so thank you yao kai for sharing this and uh, hope you're enjoying your work in china i only work 12 hours well no sorry 15 hours a day 15 hours a day so you have plenty of time to see what's i around. have plenty of time to see this place i only you know i i only go to work at nine and come back at 12. that's how you should do <laughs> 12 p.m right <laughs> not AM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To 12, well, zero. You can call it zero or like midnight. I come back at midnight. Good, good. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Ev thank everybody for listening and watching. Looking forward to your comments. And we'll see you in the next video. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, please let me know. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review as it means a lot to me. Thank you and I'll be speaking to you in the next episode.